the harder you work, the more opportunities fall into your lap. The, you know, you've got to educate yourself. You've got to have a bit of skill and a little bit of talent. But um, after a while, I think that um, the things that come to you because you're working hard, it, it's because of that. It's not because you're in the right place at the right time. You were in the right place at the right time because you'd done the work prior to know you had to be there. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with the director of Atlas Property Group, Lachlan Midlock. We'll hear how seriously he manages due diligence to avoid making irreversible mistakes, his venture into property development and plans for the future and much, much more. Midler began his property journey with little knowledge of the industry and wanted to trust not only the help of others but his own educator opinion. He saw investing as a way to get out of the rat race so to speak. I've always loved the idea of investing. I've always loved business. I was probably about 12 or 13 when I made my very first investment which was in shares um, but that was definitely what sort of stoked the fire but as I got a little bit older and, and I educated myself you know formally through university but then you know the amount of hours i spent on the internet just reading blogs and, and um, different bits of educational material i started to come around to the idea of property more and i think the thing that really grabbed me about property was leverage and the ability to leverage and the ability to more safely leverage so, so you know you can do it with shares and, and that's called margin lending but because of how volatile shares are you might have to pay that money back a lot quicker than you expect. Um, And I think a market like COVID, people would have been caught out doing something like margin lending and it would have hurt a lot of people. But with property, you leverage through a bank or commonly through a bank. And it's not often that they ever come to you and say, you need to pay back your loan today or you need to top up tens of thousands of dollars. So for me, that was such an eye opener. And then being out of then, you know, take, I don't know, 50 grand and invest in a 300 or $350,000 property and get the growth on the 300 slash 350 instead of just the 50. To me, that was like, that was the cherry on top. I sort of thought, why is, is this like, is this some big life hack? Am I seeing the world through some crystal ball that other people just can't see? Um, so that was sort of how I came about property. But when I first started out, I knew that I didn't know a lot. I knew I was, I like to think that I was smart enough to know that I wasn't very smart about property yet and I needed to learn, but I also knew I didn't want to wait. So I actually used a buyer's agent for my first purchase. I thought, you know what, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to find, I'm going to find a buyer's agent that I can mix well with, I gel with, you know, we get on, on, on a human to human sort of basis. And obviously that they're going to help me out. Um, and they presented me with properties and I did I did due diligence on top of their due diligence. But being able to have that help first up taught me so much that I didn't have beforehand. And then I went and, you know, I did it, did the finance masters, which which changed the way I looked at investing and finance and money and things like that. And that really solidified it. But yeah, I had I, I'm not afraid to say I had help with my first purchase. He acquired his first property in Brisbane and credits his positive experience to not only his buyer's agent 
but his own due diligence that he follows through within all of his purchases. It was a good experience. You know, you always you always have bumps along any sort of property acquisition or property research journey. Um, but on the whole, it was pretty good. Um, I think like a lot of people, my BA experience was that we worked out what I was looking for. We worked out my price point and that, you know, I needed something that was going to grow, but something that was going to allow me to build sustainably. So it couldn't, you know, I could be working on like 4% yields or maybe even 4.5% yields, especially with the lending. I needed to make sure that I was matched up with pretty close to neutral or a bit of positive. I had to have that growth. So when those properties were being presented to me, I, I 100% made them work for their BAFE. I looked at all their diligence. You know, I was contacting agents in the area. I was validating every word that was on the, the pages of research to make sure that it was a good decision and that it was going to be right for me. Um, and, and it turned out it was. It was a place up, up in Brisbane. Um, and I, we got it for quite a bit under market value. I hate using that word. I think it's a bit of a misnomer. You know, the market's what people pay for it. But, you know, we we got it for a price that was probably less than what it was potentially worth. Um, and it's been tenanted from, you know, week two of owning the property. And it's it had a quite a good yield. And it sort of, I think it's had, the last time I checked, it's had sort of annualized growth of maybe six to seven percent so it's been it's been quite strong i think a lot of it was in the early stages where by getting it at a good price we caught up with that but um it's been a great first property to hold it's been low maintenance great tenants great growth um sort of ticked everything that's fantastic and i guess this first property did you actually go out and have a look at it as well too before you purchase it or it was pretty much based on all the research not at the time, no. I did, I did sight unseen on that. I mean, we we had a lot of you know reports around it to make sure that it was fine, and did a lot of due diligence. You know, absolutely had it inspected quite a few times to make sure it was all good. Um, I did visit it later on. I didn't go inside. I just did a bit of a drive by when I was in Brisbane uh, one weekend, um, and it was exactly how it looked in the pictures. So I thought that's a big win. I haven't been sold a dud here, um, but yeah, it was it was. Um, it was good. It was good. With a growing portfolio holding properties in both Brisbane and in the big hubs of regional New South Wales, Fiddler is keen to see this expand. My partner and I, um, we, we've built up a, a great portfolio but like a lot of people, we found our lending got capped out, capped out pretty quickly uh, and we had a lot of cash and equity available to us. So we then transitioned and we've been doing that a little bit more recently than, than acquiring property. Uh, we went into property development, luxury property development. Vidler and his partner made a decision to cull some of the properties they had acquired over the property investing journey. This was in preparation for the next venture. So uh, we're, we're down to about four now. We did a bit of a rebalance and, and looked at what wasn't performing and, and um, wanted to keep our portfolio nice and, uh, and then moved into the property development space. So we wanted to um, have a bit more um, firepower and ammunition behind us for that. Absolutely. I love property development. That's something I'm passionate about too. So tell me a little bit more about this property development. What inspired you or got you motivated to jump down that path? Um, you mentioned it's just lending. Was that something else or did you just actually want to start accelerating, maybe growing your portfolio even further? Yeah, I think it was definitely being able to supercharge it. So um, this this uh, the, the development we're in currently, it's a syndicated investment. So we're on with a couple of other people. Um, 
but that was more out of being able to leverage into a very, very high value lucrative development that, you know, we couldn't fund by ourselves. Um, and for us, it was, yeah, it was, you know, residential real estate and I mean, even commercial, you know, it's really good. You get, you can get some good cash flow, good growth, but being able to turn around on a development and getting possibly, you know, I think in property development, you really want sort of 13 to 15% annualized returns. I think anything higher and it's, it's very risky and you're probably having someone sell your pipe dream that's not going to be true or maybe it's you know after fees it drops down considerably and and then anything below that you're not really being compensated for the risk you're taking on so for us yeah it was being able to turn around get that incredible growth um in our investments or annualized growth but over you know an 18 month timeline or a 24 month timeline be able to pull it out and then go again there are always ups and downs in property investing even when you're extremely cautious like Vidla. He tries to steer clear of buying properties that could potentially cause problems down the track. However, this one was unavoidable. One of our properties, you know, we, we bought it and um, in the first oh, maybe six months, seven months, every piece of maintenance you can possibly imagine occurred. I'm talking at one point we had to get a bobcat out to dig up the, back, the backyard because part of the sewerage pipe had, um, I don't know if rot is the right word, but it had separated away from one of the other sections of the sewerage pipe and it, had, it was causing, you know, obviously issues with the sewerage and there was just all these things going on. And the, um, the, the, the tradie that came out to fix said like, mate, the best thing that we can do for you is it's going to cost you, but we dig up the backyard, we'll weld it back together and we'll fit it and then it will be, it should be okay for, you know, the next 10 or 20 years, whatever he said. All we can do a, a small fix and it could last 10 years but it could also last six months. So it's it's over to you what you want to do and um, I mean we just we just decided to accept the um, the, the upfront cost of a, a more long-term fix. Um, but yeah, I mean worst worst ones I can think of. That was pretty bad actually to be honest. I mean you think about that to have to dig up a backyard and to pick up fix up sewage, that's the worst thing to actually, you know, think of because I mean, I, I've been through not something similar but I've had a, a roof completely uh, leak and it'd been leaking for like probably years but we only discovered it not long ago and I had to, we initially did a patch up for about six months. It didn't even last for six months to be honest. I think it was about three months and you think, yeah, you know, I could get through it because I was waiting for the winter to pass before we did it but I had to bite the bullet because it was just leaking so bad that we had to literally replace the whole roof and it actually just finished about a week ago now so I'm like, oh, finally, it's all done. That's great. I think not a not a worse moment, but a funny moment. One of our one of our properties, um, where my partner's got some family in the area, and um, and the family they've they've got you know trade qualifications and things like that. So if we ever need something within their realm, they're often able and happy to just go out and help us out. And you know we'll either just pay we'll just pay cost on the on the um, materials, but we won't pay for labor something like that. But um, one of the uh, one of the properties, the tenants, there, there was like an old heater in in the place, and like it wasn't really that old. It was more of just an old style. Anyway, there there seemed to be an issue with it, and and the tenants called up and said, "Oh, it's not working." And um, my partner uh, got one of her family members to go down and check, and I said, "Oh no, it's 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 working." Um, I don't know what happened. It must have just been a bad day or something when you tried to use it, and it went away. And then a couple of days later, got another call that, "Oh, it's still not working." It turned out that the tenant had been calling the property manager for quite a number of times. And what it really was, was that they just didn't know how to turn it on. But they just kept saying that it didn't work. So thankfully, we weren't sending out, 
you know, other tradies that it was their business and we were paying call out fees and all these things. But yeah, it just that was that was quite a funny moment. It just turned out that they couldn't operate this heater. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard stories like that. Too. It's it's embarrassing. Even like I, I'm like so surprised. Like one one guy told me, one investor told me that he had a tenant who didn't know how to turn on a light switch. A light switch. <laughs> And literally, they, they sent the property manager out there and that night, they said, okay, you flick it on, flick it on. Oh, you wonder how some of these people just survive in the world normally, don't you? It's just, it's so funny some of the stories that you hear about in the property industry, isn't it? Although he has a bachelor's degree and a master's in finance, Vidler really started to get a feel for the industry when it came to understand how leverage works in property compared to other industries. This was a game changer for him. When I speak with some of my clients in my presentation, there's a slide that I put out and it's about um, a fi- it's about that $50,000 investment and it's about over 30 years using statistics from the RBA and Vanguard for the share site and showing how much it changes. And I think off the top of my head, over 30 years, just the value of the property alone, it goes up to about two and a half mil on a, on a $300,000 purchase versus shares, which have a higher... Um, return rate but when it's just a return on fifty thousand dollars instead of the 300 uh, it only goes up to about three quarters of a million and i mean i don't just mean only three quarters of a million but you know relatively you're talking 50k in property and it goes to two and a half mil or 50k in shares and it goes to seven hundred and fifty thousand. it like it's just it's mind-blowing and whenever i show clients that they are always gobsmacked they can't believe it i had a i had a guy yesterday who when he saw it he was literally speechless and he even said, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say to that because I didn't understand it. I was going to say and what I love about property as well, you get a physical asset. It's not like you're buying paper, you know, share <laughs> is like a paper. Something could go wrong, you know, the company could go bust. You lose all that money. Absolutely. And, you know, there are so many investors out there that want to be able to see something. You know, you obviously get the backyard investors who only invest in their backyard. But even if you take that out to the people that are happy with that borderless investment model to get the most bang for their buck, they still can hop on a plane and do a drive-by, you know? And that is such an invaluable thing to so many people. So, I think you're right. That that tangible asset is just amazing. Huge, huge. And you, you've really, really you know, hit it, the nail on the head saying that 50000 compounded and invested into a property, which is a growing asset, is worth like $2 million. 30 years, I mean, you, you work it out. Like, how often can you actually just make that kind of money without working? You know, that's the thing. But people to even in their lifetime to work and earn that much is not even possible. Exactly right. I, I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's so true though. Like, you know, so I think the, the last time that I saw it, the median wage in Australia was about a bit over $80,000. And, you know, even if you take that over 30 years, you know, people, aren't going to be anywhere near that sort of return and you just buy one house you know obviously that's not the solution that's not going to give you you know proper long-term wealth creation but if you just bought one house for 300k and you let it sit there and you let you know time and compounding take their effects you're going to end up with an amazing result and plus you know you would eventually pay that off and you got yourself a, a free asset Exactly right. And that, I mean, that's over 30 years. It doesn't account for any value adds you do. Like, you know, you even just throw in a, a 10 grand, 15 grand rental on a kitchen and a bit of cosmetics on the outside. And, you know, you can get two to three um, return per dollar that you that you put in. You know, it's just, it, it's incredible. And that, 
um, like you said, that's just that's just letting it sit there. You do nothing, and that and that doesn't even account for the rent you take in either. You know, that was just purely the property value. Villa believes that although some investors won't admit it, the ideal world involves having a billion-dollar real estate empire. Although he doesn't necessarily expect to achieve this, he's always aiming higher and higher. For me, it's been all about um, combining growth and cash flow. It's um, there's no point building a two or three property portfolio if you're then going to be capped out for the next ten years plus, because you know you're going to get the growth, and we just talked about the growth. So for me. For me to even get halfway there, I, I like um, Grant Cardone's philosophy of you know the ten times rule, where you imagine ten times what you really want, and then when you fall short, you're still well past what you ever needed or wanted. So for me to be able to do that, it was really about matching growth and cash flow. So I had to make sure that we picked areas that were going to have great growth prospects and look at it over the long term. You know, what's it going to do over ten years? You know. We all want it to move in 18 months or two years or three years. Sometimes, no matter how good of a property picker you are, it's never going to happen. And you've just got to be a bit pragmatic and, and go back and go, all right, over five years, maybe we get the gro- we'll get the growth at that point. And that's fine. And that's okay. And you know, it, you're not going to end up with a billion dollar empire, but you're still going to end up in a phenomenal position. But you've got to be able to keep having the, uh, the power to leverage through the bank or through other means. But you know, for most people, it's through the bank. So we had to match cash flow. So I think that usually I the bottom yield that I would ever accept is probably about four and a half percent. And even then, I'd have to be really stoked with the growth prospects of a place like that because um, it's so much harder to increase, you know, your day to day income. So the, the better way to do it, I've found, is to match the income of the property so that it either pays for itself or pre- it comes pretty close to it. So, yeah, I think for me, that's been that's been the strategy. It's been trying to balance the growth versus the cash flow. Yeah, it's it's always a challenge. I've always had this same, I guess, question that people always ask is how do you find these kind of growth properties because it's not something you can actually predict. You don't even know if things are going to move up like 10 times or whatever it is, especially like when you've seen the Sydney and the Melbourne boom, no one would have expected to double that much in such a short period of time. You don't even know when to time it. And then same thing with the positive cash flow. That's a little bit easier because you can actually see based on the rental income and its past track record of history, you can actually use that to, I guess, work out if it's a good positive cash flow investment. But how do you go about that kind of research? Is there a specific kind of checklist or due diligence process that you undergo as well? There is. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head though. You can never 100% predict. You, you look at all of um, the metrics you look at and you make an educated assessment Fortunately, property is quite forgiving and like I sort of alluded to earlier, you might not get it in that first couple of years but usually you'll get a bit of protection on the back end if you bought somewhat in an educated manner. But for me, you know, I, I, I look top down and then I keep and I keep coming down. It's, there's, I think there's what, 15,500 suburbs in Australia and, you know, that goes from Broken Hill where I'd hazard a guess that you know, over 30 years, you're not going to get the best return as you would for Harbourfront Sydney. But, you know, you've got to be able to break it down. Coming up after the break, we hear some of Vidler's tips to find the right areas to invest in. You're looking at supply and demand. You're looking at the reasons why somebody might want to live in an area. Who has helped him in his property journey? 
I don't like to just listen to one perspective because you, you never know what's going on behind one perspective. It's, you know, even, even the best friends are sometimes going to give you bad advice, not necessarily because they mean to, but just because of their own experience. How he plans to manage his property advisory business as well as property portfolio in the future. I'll have to make sure that I um, keep devoting time to find properties for myself, you know, not just not just clients and um, and keep doing the developments, things like that. I think just um, just keep ticking along my own circumstances, not just helping out the great clients that we work with. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. With over 15,000 suburbs to choose from in Australia, Villa determines which properties and in which areas to invest in by researching top-down. Although it's impossible to be completely certain about a suburb and the outcome of investing in it, he does share some of the processes he undertakes. There's so many property research companies out there that all, a lot of the listeners will be aware of and everyone takes into account different things. But I'm still trying to work out what I think are great drivers you know i think that you're always trying to evolve and understand and you know after a few years you might realize something's not as important as other things but i think that you evaluating growth that really comes down to some really common principles you know you're looking at supply and demand you're looking at the reasons why somebody might want to live in an area you know so i think when you're looking at that you've got to look at the metrics that reflect something like that so you're looking at what does the suburb or the surrounding suburbs look like? Are there good amenities? Are there is there good transport? Does it have good livability to people? Like if you you know you might not want to live in a, in in a particular area that you invest in, and I've invested in places that I would never want to live, but I know that people do. But there's I can still understand that there is some sort of livability factor to the area, you know, and that that keeps going down to you know is there employment is there some population growth is there all these things and there's no crystal ball to work out what level is 100 percent right to to dictate it but to me i look at those and see if there's some good trends and then i guess i keep getting down lower and then i look at you know what are some of the supply and demand characteristics of um of a couple of the suburbs that i'm starting to identify and then even down to some of the streets you know, are we starting to see vacancy rates coming down? Are we seeing rents going up? What is it that's going on? What is it that is driving the changes in these areas? And then after that, you know, I, I sort of sit back and I look at it across a couple of different suburbs. You know, it's you can't just look at one in isolation. You've got to look at what is it that all these suburbs, and I, and I do it across state as well. I might look at, you know, five or 10 things in a suburb in Brisbane, but they're not compare the same to a suburb in Victoria because I want to be able to try and compare apples to apples and I want to be able to see if there's trends, you know, having a, a finance background, I like seeing trends. I like seeing things that I can try to quantify. And then after that, I think that a bit of common sense comes down to it, you know, is does it look like a property somebody would want to live in? Whether that's you or not, you know, does it have just a solid foundation is it you know a good couple of bedrooms does it have a couple of bathrooms does it have some backyard for if kids want to be there let a little bit of common sense come across over the top of your investing and and then that sort of then make it make a jump you know every every time i invest my heart races even still you know i think that it's it's exciting it's nerve-wracking you're never going to know how it turns out but to me when that happens it's like sport you know you get that adrenaline rush you're a bit nervous 
but you usually play better and I find that's the same with me. Although Villa had interest in investing from a young age, he ultimately began building his property portfolio to ensure a better life for himself and his family. I've heard a lot of people, you know, within property or other ones sometimes say like, oh, that's, you know, that's not, that's not the true why, you know, you got to go deeper than that. But I, I don't think it is. I think that that is a perfectly reasonable um, response and it's, and it's what I, it's what it's about for me. And for me, it's, I want to be in a position where I work because I choose and that gives a better life to my family because I could be there more or I could be there less depending on what's happening at the time. I don't want to be stuck on the age pension when I'm, you know, into my the later years of my life because I know that it's not enough. And unfortunately, so many people, and there'll be people out there listening who have family members that are on it that know what a struggle it is if that is your only income, if that's your only source of money. It's so difficult. And I know that when I get into my 60s or my 70s, the last thing that I want to be thinking about is can I pay my rent? Can I Can I buy food? I want to be able to go can I buy my grandkids a nice birthday present or can I take the family on a holiday overseas when I'm yeah in that 60 to 70s age group? So for me, it really was all about wanting that better life for my family. Vidler surrounds himself with a strong team who he trusts to advise him and help him make the most logical decisions because you never know what biases people might have. The one person that stands out is my whole team. You know, that's my my broker, my my accountant, my um, friends that have invested, it, it's then the people like you said that out of consulting and the Navy, it's my whole team more than just one person because I, I don't like to just listen to one perspective because you, you never know what's going on behind one perspective. It's, you know, even, even the best friends are sometimes going to give you bad advice not necessarily because they mean to, but just because of their own experience, it might not actually end up being true or right for you. So I've tried to surround myself with an overall great team and take all of their opinions. And I will often hear something from one and I'll go to the other and I often, and I won't ever go, oh, so-and-so said this, but I'll say, I've heard this recently, what's your experience? And then I validate it. Oh no, it's it, it's great. I mean, it, it's really it, it's really true because the fact is is that sometimes when people tell you something, you, you don't believe it face value, and, and even with family members as well. To oh, the worst, isn't it? The worst. It's because you have that strong trust in them, and you believe whatever they say. But the thing is, until you validate it, they may not have ever invested in property, but they're telling you giving property advice. That's probably the worst. How many people in obviously non-COVID times would be around the family barbecue or the family dinner table and someone's got a story about property always, whether it's about a bad investment or you know a bad property manager that they're renting from or whatever it is, someone always has a story. Someone always has a perspective or, oh, this area is about to boom. You'd better get in there. Like, I've seen lots of people lining up outside this house. The whole area must be ready to go. You know, all those things. But so often, it's never really validated. There's never really anything backing it. And because, like you said, you trust them or your family or your friends, whatever it is, you're always inclined to believe them maybe a little bit more than you should. And it's gotten so many people into trouble. It's, I mean, I've had, I've chatted to so many people through, you know, um, my buyer's agency who come and they say some cracking statements to me. And the first thing I say is, so why do you think that? How, how is it that you've got to that, that thought? And they tell me, and then in, you know, in, in hopefully a couple of sentences, I give them a pretty, um, 
re, you know, um, different perspective. And then they go, oh, okay, that actually makes a lot more sense than what I possibly thought of beforehand. So it's um, it's funny, isn't it? There's always a story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also backing up with the evidence and facts behind you to be able to put things back in logic because the thing is, is we, yes, we, we based a lot of our decisions on emotion but if you take a step back and take that emotion away and you base it on facts and figures and so forth, usually those things are the ones that will actually get the best result and that's that's what I've learned anyway because I've, I've done so many bad decisions as well emotionally because it's just so easy to just go, oh, I believe that one but then... Oh, mate, um, I am a big believer of that, I think. But, you know, to me, mistakes are good. Like, you don't want to make really bad ones. You don't want to make mistakes that are going to have a, a, a significant and detrimental impact on you later on. But you got to, you got to make some mistakes because it, it's the best way to learn a lesson. It's the fastest way to learn something. It's, um, you know, it, it, it then helps you to understand how you can change more than just one thing. You know, when uh, I've found that, you know, Maybe you um you went through the wrong bank, for example, but then you also work out a couple of other things out of that. Like maybe you work out, uh, I don't know, that you, you had a bad broker, for example. And, and there's a couple of other things you realize through one mistake. So it's never just, I don't think it's ever just one thing you learn, but, um, but the emotional ones, uh, it gets people all the time. When it comes to self-education in property investing, Villa relies on more contemporary means rather than some of the more popular literature that may be slightly outdated. I reckon I've read every property book under the sun and unfortunately, what I've worked out is that uh, a lot of them were written in a time that doesn't necessarily reflect today's conditions. You know, you got people like Steve McKnight or Michael Yardney where you know, you're talking about buying up um, property and then living off um, the home equity loans you take it off them. and. A lot of that's just not possible these days. Like the, the the theory behind a lot of what they say is great, but practically you can't apply it anymore. So I think I love all of them. I love reading them. I think it's great. I think you should always expand your knowledge and and you and by doing that you can then also and putting your own experience the lens of your own experience over the top, you can work out what's true and what's not, but you'll still pick up some things that are great. But for me, I I almost think that today the best thing you can do is is like getting out and reading current blogs from rep, like reputable websites or listening to podcasts from people who have current experience in the market. I think that at the moment, there's not too many books that are, are better than doing those two things. Times have changed and I think we all just need to learn to adapt to what the changing markets are and seek experts and people who actually have been there and done that and can actually adapt to these current market conditions is so important. So, I totally resonate with what you've said there. It's interesting there though because I've just had a thought as well. The new responsible lending laws with the changes that are going on with that, who knows, maybe we might actually see a move back, maybe not to what it was 10 or 15 years ago. But I, I have a feeling that um, over the next couple of years, as, as things um, start to ease around the easing of those laws, we might see some of those things that could come back into play a little bit more, you know, a little bit more borrowing and a little bit more capacity to um, leverage yourself and um, some looser borrowing checks and criteria going on. Um, but it will just be important for everyone to make sure it works for their circumstances and not put themselves in bad spots. With his buyer's agency on the rise, yet still in its early stages, Midler plans to dedicate most of his time and energy into building up his business. I'm so excited to be able to help other people 
create long-term wealth. I think that's going to be so exciting and um, already got some great clients who have been really happy with our with our service and product and they, I, we just like chatting with each other. Some of them just call me up and go, oh, hey, how are you going? What are you up to? That sort of thing. So I think for me, that'll be a really big focus in the next five years. And then I think I'll need to make sure that I don't let my own property journey suffer at the expense of the business. I'll have to make sure that I um, keep devoting time to find properties for myself, you know, not just not just clients and um, and keep doing the developments, things like that. I think just um, just keep ticking along my own circumstances, not just helping out the great clients that we work with. So, last question for you, Lachlan, is how much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it do you think is because of luck? I don't know who it was that came up with the quote about it but, um, you know, the, the harder you work, the more luck you have. I think that... Um, I think that's so true. I've, I've never seen that more than working on my own business and then working on my own property investing. The harder you work, the more opportunities fall into your lap. The, you know, you've got to educate yourself. You've got to have a bit of skill and a little bit of talent. But um, after a while, I think that um, you know, the things that come to you because you're working hard it's because of that. It's not because you were in the right place at the right time. You were in the right place at the right time because you'd done the work prior to know you had to be there, something like that. I think that that's, that's my answer. But yeah, of course, it was 100% my own skill. I actually resonate with you on that and I agree because I think the harder you work, it, it's you got to prepare yourself for the opportunities that come. If you're not prepared then and the opportunity comes, you know, unfortunately, you can't take it. It's like um, the teacher will, will appear when the student's ready love that i love that you're so right you're so right it's um there's there's so many hard-working people out there and they work hard and they're always waiting for their big break and you know it, it's not for a lack of trying but you know you've got to make sure you, you you're paying attention to all pieces you know you've got to make sure that you're doing a bit of learning yourself you know you when a teacher comes you want to make sure that you're ready to be taught it not just you want to be taught it kind of thing is, is how i think about it anyway Thank you to Lachlan Vindler, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey and get a copy of this episode guide on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide. This guide will give you the inside scoop on the little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from their background story and on overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide and download it today. Thanks for listening.